This is the Invest Midwest podcast, where I talk to all types and kinds of Cleveland real estate investors about how they got started, where they're at now, and where they're going. I'm Andrew Duna, your host and real estate agent. If you're looking to buy or sell an investment property, my info is in the show notes. And now, on to the episode. Yeah, so if you wouldn't mind letting us know where you are right now with your investments. Yeah, so, uh, you know, you already know, but uh, as most don't, uh, you know, after doing single family for most of my career, I've done mostly commercial real estate for the last four years. Um, So that's pretty much been my focus. Uh, We had a really big project uh, that we bought about a year ago that we are still working on, um, but that one is coming to a head. So, uh, I actually, after not buying anything for, for quite some time, I have three properties under contract right now. So I think, um, I think a lot of people, you know, with the, with the recession and the higher rates, even in the commercial industry, people are trying to unload some properties before winter sets in and, and they can't unload them. So I was, you know, happy to pick those up some, some pretty good deals on those. So you are seeing that the tide is changing with the market right now? Um, you know, I don't think commercial and residential really are spoken about in the same, uh, you know, in the same light. So I wouldn't put what you see in the news and Zillow and, and Redfin in, in the same uh, category as commercial. But yeah, it, there is some overlap for sure. Higher rates uh, are, are not good for commercial the industry. Um, a recession is certainly a little scary for commercial owners. So I think anyone who owns a building and was thinking about selling it maybe next year is, is trying to maybe unload it uh, because who knows what next year will bring. So. Sure, sure. If you don't mind, just bring us back to the beginning of how you first got interested in real estate in general. So, you know, my my uh, initial interest in real estate was probably when I was, I don't know, about ten or eleven years old. My mom actually had bought all these, you know, back then it was it was booked on tape, some real estate investing courses on tape, and I remember her, you know, listening to those. And you know, I, I as a ten year old kid, I didn't have any interest at all. But you know, she ended up buying a house kind of in the in the Cleveland area, in, in not so great of a neighborhood. Um, nothing about the uh, investment worked out. It was a one and done deal. Um, so she did not become, you know, a real estate investor or anything, but, you know, I kind of put a little, a little something in my brain at that time. Like, you know, this is out there, this is something I can do, but at 10 years old, very little interest. Uh, it, it was not something I thought I would be doing. Um, but then as I got a little bit older, I, I started caddying at a couple country clubs. I did that for about 10 years, all the way from, you know, uh, seventh grade all the way through college really. Uh, and I did come across, you know, bankers and lawyers, um, you know, doctors, you know, your standard country club, uh, you know, jobs, but also, uh, you know, real estate developers and, and some real estate investors. So again, it, it made me think, you know, all these guys, you know, these doctors and everything had to go to school for an extra 10 years and lawyers and rack up all these fees, but you know, real estate investing, you know, you don't have to go to extra schooling for and schooling, you know, I, I did high school, I did college, but it was never, never my strong suit. I never really excelled, uh, in school. I did okay. But, um, so that was really uh, appealing to me. So it was probably in college when I finally decided, Hey, you know, this might be something I want to do on the side of whatever my real career is. And at the time I didn't realize, you know, I would pretty much go straight into investing, uh, just out of college. So you went right out of college. What was your first step? So I, I wasn't, you know, I, I kind of glossed over the fact that I, I was able to get a business going, um, 
in my senior year at college is an online retail business. Um, not very sexy. Uh, it did pretty well as far as income goes. So, um, you know, I was doing that right out of college and I couldn't buy a house because I didn't have uh, two years of, you know, documented income. So I had to kind of sit on the sidelines and educate myself uh, right when I got out while I stacked up some money. And then about a year or so after I got out, I was able to make my first purchase. And it was just a uh, single family home, uh, had been sitting on the market for a long, long time. And uh, back then deals were abundant. Uh, it's not like it is today. So, you know, got it for a $50,000 in a, in a suburb of Cleveland. That was a pretty nice neighborhood. And, uh, I was off to the races. So then what was your overall strategy at that point? How were you thinking uh, things were going to play out? So, you know, at the time I thought real estate investing was just going to be like a wealth building tool on the side. I didn't really think of it as a primary uh, career. So I said, you know, I'm doing these carpet and paint style purchases, nothing that needs a ton of work. Um, and I did, you know, one to two deals uh, for the first year or two. Um, you know, my business was doing well. It could sustain the down payment and, and the rehabs, uh, but I was still going broke trying to come up with these investor loans, which require 20% down payment. Uh, and then also, you know, putting money into the property. So, uh, you know, on, on any given deal, I could have 20 to $30,000 of my own money just sitting there, uh, and, and the deals only cash flowing, you know, maybe two to $300 a month. So, you know, I own four properties, but I was, I was broke, you know, I had a lot of money in these properties. So I came across the Burr strategy, which at the time, I don't even think it had a name. It, it was just kind of, you know, a philosophy. Um, now it's widely known, but, uh, you know, I picked up on that. I uh, got my first real rehab property and it, it worked out well. And, you know, after that, I, I didn't do anything except the Burr method. And then what specific neighborhoods were you looking at and why were you considering those ones? So I've always found in even in commercial real estate, I, I've been a C plus B minus uh, neighborhood kind of guy. So it, it's not always the case, but, you know, the nicer areas you go, you can usually expect uh, lower returns. And, and that's typically with, with rentals. I'm not talking about flips. You can flip in, in, in any city. Um, but in terms of having a cash flowing property, um, you're going to pay a premium in the nicer neighborhoods and the higher rents are not necessarily going to offset that premium. So uh, I stay away from the really junky areas, uh, any, any ghetto or any high crime areas. And I kind of concentrate on that C plus B minus market. And those have tend to be uh, the biggest payback, a little bit more work. Um, it's not like an A property where you're going in there in a great neighborhood and just slapping a sign on it. But uh, again, it's not uh, impossible to do and the returns are a lot better. As you've progressed, um, I've seen online that you do both flips and long-term holds. How has that played out now? Um, so, of course, in the future or in the past, you had the four rental properties. And then how did you grow from there? What were the next steps? So I think my fifth rental, my fifth property, I, I did the burst strategy. So I was able to buy a property, rehab it, um, get it paid back. Uh, actually, I was the lender on that. So I, I financed my own uh, on that one. But I soon realized that uh, if I wanted to accelerate this thing, I was going to have to get other people's money. And, uh, you know, raising money from private investors at the time seemed like an impossible task. So I found a hard money lender, a couple hard money lenders uh, paid anywhere from 12 to 15% interest, um, which I never said I was going to do. But, you know, we went from doing two properties uh, a year to eight, 10, 12 properties a year. And it became 
a situation where if I found the property, I knew I can buy it. I knew I would have the funds to do it through my hard money lender. Uh, and you know, I was running around like a crazy man for about three years, uh, at that pace. And then I, you know, kind of slowed things down, brought it back home. And then luckily, you know, commercial real estate kicked in in 2018. And instead of doing 10 properties a year, I could do maybe two or three commercial buildings a year, uh, achieve better, you know, financial results and, and just not be managing, you know, six or seven different contracting crews and utilities and everything that comes with it. So were you doing any sort of marketing or how were you finding those properties? So I was pretty much getting all the properties on the MLS, uh, the open market, uh, for a number of years. And then I, I ended up switching, not switching, but I ended up getting a lot more properties through auction websites. So I never actually went down to the courthouse steps and purchased one, um, though I have gone down there on a few occasions and, and lost. Uh, but, you know, uh, zone.com, auction.com, hubzoo.com, those are all, uh, you know, similar sites uh, to going down to the courthouse steps. And yeah, I picked up uh, probably some of my best deals on there. And a a lot of them were sight unseen. You know, I did I did my first sight unseen property where I couldn't see it. You know, right around my eighth or ninth property, and I picked it up just for pennies on the dollar. And when I got in there, it wasn't bad. So it gave me some courage to start doing those again. And, and for the most part, I I didn't really ever regret uh, buying a property that I wasn't able to see. It, it always went for a low enough price that you know it made it worth it. And what kind of metrics are you looking for with the single families? What kind of cash flow? Uh, what typical price range do you like to stay in? I mean, that's changed over time with the market, but, uh, you know, early in my career, I would say, uh, I would look for about two to $300 a month in cash flow. Um, that's after, you know, uh, at the time I had a property manager. So that's after property management fees and everything. Um, and as far as purchase price goes, I, I would, I was averaging $50,000 homes back then that would be worth maybe 120 to 140,000 when they were, uh, fixed up. But again, this is the Cleveland market. So those numbers are probably completely unheard of in, in 75% of the country. But, uh, that same $50,000 property today would be, you know, $110,000 property. So it just, it's just not the, the same time anymore. How many single families have you, do you have now total? So I've got about 38 single families, uh, but I've done more than 70 single family deals. So I've either flipped them or sold some off over time. Um, but right now I hold 38. Uh, and for the most part, I don't plan on selling any of those anytime soon because they're all cash flowing pretty well. I, I've unloaded about six or seven in the last three years um, for various reasons. But right now I'm going to kind of sit tight with what I got. Uh, you mentioned that you had a manager and now you don't. So um, I, actually, we've spoken before. You, you've mentioned you now have switched to self-management. What does that look like? And uh, do you have any tips and tricks for that? So yeah, like I mentioned early on, I, I thought I was going to be doing this as a side uh, business to whatever maybe my corporate or W two job was. Uh, but you know, after three or four years doing it, I realized this could be you know my main gig. So uh, I still do operate that other business, but real estate is about eighty percent of my time these days. So um, about four or five years ago, after a lot of issues with my property manager, um, from managing work orders to fees to you name it. Um, I started bringing a couple properties in house and, and managing them myself and really should have done it sooner. I thought there was a lot more to it, uh, but really there's not. So right now uh, we got all the properties in house. I have a part-time employee uh, that does about 10 hours a week, uh, given some assistance. Uh, and then my wife is a, a big help. She does a lot of the leasing. She does a lot of stuff with the business. So she's been a big part of it too. Um, our future goal is to maybe bump this 10 hour a week uh, guy up to 15 or 20 a week and be uh, nearly hands off. But right now, you know, we're kind of in the weeds and, and we're dealing with uh, the stuff day to day. 
With uh, the burr and flipping, of course, you're dealing a lot with contractors. Um, how have you found trustworthy ones? And do you have any tips and tricks for, you know, maybe dealing with not the best ones? <laughs> yeah. So since I've started, I've probably gone through, I don't know, 75, 80 different contractors, if not more. Um, wow. So I, I, someday I'll write a book on contractors. They're, they're, a night, they're a nightmare. But, you know, in, in this world, you can't call the Mr. Rooters or the big time guys. If you do, you know, I mean, you're just not going to cash flow that well. The, the, the big name companies who you kind of have a, a big truck and a name behind them are going to cost a little too much money, especially when you're in the single family uh, business. And, you know, you have limited monthly cash flow, limited budgets. So, um, you know, I circled around the uh, Craigslist Facebook area for a while. I found a lot of guys through there. And, and a lot of these guys, um, you know, were on bigger crews and they just branched off on their own. So, you know, I've gone through a lot of knuckleheads to find the guys I have now. And I probably have about 10 to 12 really reliable people uh, that are able to do my projects. And, you know, every once in a while, we don't have enough guys to continue, you know, at the pace I'd like to. So I'm constantly hiring and looking for new guys. And it's just, a, a little bit of a revolving door because some of these guys, you know, I've had guys do great for, you know, a couple of years, but then something happens like a divorce or alcoholism or, you know, life just smacks them in the face and uh, their, their work that was once really good or their reliability factor just goes to, goes to zero and, you know, you have to make changes. So I wish I, I had guys that would be with me forever. And I have a few that have been with me more than five years, but uh, at the end of the day, it's kind of a revolving door. Um, as you get into bigger projects, you can start to hire the guys that have the name behind them and, and you hope that you don't have to deal with these headaches. But even with the bigger name companies, uh, you have to deal with a lot of the headaches that come with contractors. So at this point, it's mostly word of mouth from maybe a good contractor tells you about another one or word of mouth or we'll, we'll put an ad on, on either Craigslist or Facebook jobs and uh, we'll tell people what we're looking for. And, you know, we'll have to maybe filter through five to 10 guys just to find one who is worth their salt. Um, just because, you know, I, I wouldn't say Craig, Craigslist is bottom of the barrel, but there's certainly a lot of guys on there that aren't busy. And you wonder why you aren't busy in one of the most, you know, busy job markets of all time. So there's gotta be a reason people aren't uh, working right now. And sure enough, a lot of times it's drugs, alcohol. Um, that That's probably the biggest thing I see that is preventing some of these guys from excelling. Do you, and you still do a couple flips, no? You're in there. Um, I, I don't really uh, do buy. It, it's really hard for me not to buy residential because, you know, I, I, I knew it so well. It, it was my niche for so long. Um, but I've been resisting uh, jumping on any residential right now just because my time and my resources and my manpower is better served on the commercial. So I did uh, flip a property in the past year, but it was an unusual situation where this property was brought to me by another investor who couldn't take it on. Um, so I ran some numbers and it was not even a flip, you know, it was, it was a unusual situation where I, I got the property. Uh, I gutted it out, cleaned it up, sat on it for three months. And then I listed it and I made a pretty tidy profit, um, as almost a wholesale deal. Nice. Transitioning into the commercial properties. What do you typically look for and what's your strategy there? So, so far it's been like office retail commercial properties. Uh, I, I am not opposed to, you know, larger mid-sized apartment buildings, but um, with sky high rents, uh, the building prices on, on a lot of apartments are also sky high because commercial real estate is valued based on your net operating income. So if you have higher rents and higher occupancy in a building, it's going to sell at a premium. So uh, most of the things I am looking to buy are deals. Uh, so I'm typically at the end of the radar where a lot of people are not looking. 
renting. So that has been, uh, we picked up some great office buildings during COVID when everyone said office was dead. Um, we have 100% occupancy in those buildings, so no, no issues leasing there. Um, so, you know, industrial is a, a category I haven't purchased in, but it's definitely on my radar because, again, it's not a uh, sexy asset class and there's not as much competition. So, a lot of times these under the radar asset classes are really, really uh, good. People just don't know about them. Sure. So there's a lot of people that would say office and retail is really risky. Uh, what kind of tenants do you typically find and how do you mitigate that risk? So the buildings we buy are, I would say, on the smaller size in terms of the tenants that we're attracting. So we don't have a lot of national brands. We tailor to the smaller uh, mom and pop stores. Um, so we do have, you know, Key Bank and some bigger players in a few of our buildings. But uh, for the most part, they're 2,000 square feet and under. And we're able to lease the smaller units at a lot quicker pace than we're able to lease the bigger units. So we have taken that and, and kind of ran with it. So we're actually taking you know, a 2000 square foot unit and we're chopping it up into three separate units. So uh, the pros of that are you have a, a maybe $800 a month unit that a lot of people can afford. So it's a lot easier and quicker to rent. Uh, the cons would be, you know, it's it's more legwork. You have shorter leases, smaller businesses. Um, you, you, they're not triple net leases. So it's not like a big franchise is coming in there and taking care of everything. You have to do uh, some maintenance. But so far in the areas that we've been investing in, uh, it's worked out really well for us. How do you typically find these tenants? Uh, so we advertise pretty much anywhere that you can. Um, Facebook. Craigslist, LoopNet, Craxi, uh, Yard Signs, uh, we put them all up. Um, I think part of the reason we've had so much success in leasing them is the flexibility I have as the landlord to incentivize tenants to come because we, we see, you know, next to our buildings, we see vacant units at other properties. And some of these signs have been in the window for more than a year. And, and I call and I ask them what the lease rate is. It's, it's typically around market lease rate, but the seller is not willing to offer any incentives. Um, the, the, the place needs rehabbed by the person moving in there. Uh, there's no free rent. Um, so, you know, we have spaces that are essentially rehabbed, ready to go. Uh, we offer sometimes one or two months of free rent. Um, so that's where the big difference comes in. Me as the owner, I'm, I'm hungry and I'm, I'm really trying to get these things filled. Uh, when you have a property management firm, just stick a sign in the window and say, you know, this is the price and this is how it works. It's a lot, it's going to take a lot longer to fill that space. Yeah. So we, we spoke previously and to me, it was just a little bit unclear of how you might actually have the confidence to buy these properties knowing they're vacant and having the confidence that they won't be vacant under your control. So how do you kind of process that? So that was, you know, a, a pretty big hang up for me before I bought my first building. I didn't need, you know, think businesses, you know, would necessarily lease from me, but kind of like feel the dreams. If you build it, they will come. Um, I would say we have a superior product in the fact that we're buying uh, dilapidated buildings. So we have a budget to re rehab them, fresh carpet, fresh paint, uh, move in ready condition. If you look at around a lot of the commercial competition, uh, they need work. They're older buildings. Sometimes uh, a previous tenant was in there. So you have to go put your own footprint in there. Um, and then, and a uh, second thing is, you know, I always run my numbers at very conservative rates. So if the average rate in the area is a dollar a square foot, you know, I'll make sure that the building would still work out if I can only get 70 cents a square foot. 
Um, so if, if you go low enough on the price, which we don't normally have to do, you will find uh, tenants. You'd be surprised at how many businesses are out there uh, looking for space. And that was a big surprise when I bought my first property is the number of different businesses that came to me uh, for space. And it made me realize, man, you know, there, there's a lot of business out there. If you just provide a good product, they, they'll find you. I'd like to discuss the strategy and the financing. So I think it would be best to go over the strategy. What What's your play with the buildings? And then how do you end up financing that strategy? So similar to the single family Burr method, I'm doing the Burr method on commercial real estate. Uh, what I don't use anymore is hard money lenders. I've, I've done real estate for more than 10 years now. So uh, I did start finding some private lenders. And now I'm at the point where, you know, it's a little bit of a snowball effect where word of mouth is, is happening. And I'm able to, for now, I'm able to find the money to buy these deals. Um, banks don't want to finance a commercial building that is vacant. Uh, they want some rental income coming in. So uh, I would say most of the buildings I buy are not bankable on the acquisition. So I do raise money. Uh, I pay my investors anywhere from 8 to 12%, depending on the deal. Um, so far, I don't really take partners in the deals. This is just a strict loan. Um, so after we rehab the property, we find tenants, uh, at that point, it's usually been anywhere from eight to 12 months. Uh, and then we're able to take it to the bank. The bank pays us back. Uh, they will loan up to 75% of the new value and my investors are paid back. And a lot of these investors just recycle their money into the next deal. And then if you wouldn't mind giving us specifics, I know you told me a very impressive, uh, building that you completed recently. Uh, with some, you know, great metrics. So, yeah, I mean, we, we've had a, a lot of, that's why commercial real estate is, is just so great because you can kind of predict the value of the building based on the rent. So if you have a pretty good idea what your rents are going to be, you know, you have how much wiggle room you have between the rehab and the after repair value. So one of the uh, better deals that I've recently done was uh, in a city in Wycliffe. Uh, it was a 16,000 square foot uh, strip plaza. So there were about five storefront units and a restaurant on the bottom. Uh, and then there was 8,000 square feet of office space that needed rehab on the second floor. Uh, we bought this building during COVID. Uh, it was about 50% occupied. It had a restaurant vacancy. So, you know, people were pretty scared of it. So we picked it up for $350,000. Uh, we put 150,000 into it since then, maybe another 50. So we could just call it $200,000. So we're into the building for about 550,000. Uh, we had it appraised for 1.1 million, uh, did a cash out refi, uh, took home about $200,000 on the cash out refi, uh, that building cash flows, uh, you know, with 90% occupancy, the building cash flows about four to $5,000 a month. That's so amazing. that's been that's been one of the better uh, projects. Uh, we have a couple under contract right now that we hope to perform similar, but so far that's been it. Yeah, basically doubling your money there uh, and then continuing to cash flow. That's amazing. So then what's next for you with the commercial properties and how could anybody help you with that? So we've been scaling up on, on each deal, I would say. Um, uh, most of my deals so far have been all a million and under. So that's a million between the purchase price and the rehab. But 
you know, eight, two, three, four million dollar buildings are on my radar, and and that's really the the next uh, phase for me. I'm not going to jump to a ten million dollar building. I just want to step my way up. So, uh, with that, um, more investors will be needed. So, anyone looking to invest passively in real estate, feel free to uh, give me a call. But um, it's a lot easy uh, easier to raise five hundred thousand dollars for a building than it is three million dollars. So, you know, that's why we're going to go up in baby steps. Awesome. So currently you have, I think you said about 40 or uh, 30 single family properties. Yeah. 38 single families, uh, four commercial or I'm sorry, five commercial buildings. And then we have three commercial buildings under contract. And what do the numbers look like on the new uh, commercial properties? Uh, there, two of, two of the buildings are a little bit smaller. Uh, they're, I, I purchased both of them for less than $200,000, but, uh, they're both going to be worth anywhere from four to 500,000 when they're all fixed up. Uh, and that's per, with minimal rehab. Um, one of the other buildings I purchased for $265,000, it's going to need about a $200,000 rehab. But again, this building could be, you know, worth upwards of a million dollars, maybe 800,000 on the low side when it's all done. Uh, any advice to someone looking to jump from residential to commercial? Yeah, I mean, really, just just don't be scared. Like you said, you wondered how would you lease the space? I've never bought a building that I haven't been able to lease the majority of the space. And so if you market it correctly, you make it presentable, you make it look good, you will find tenants for the space. Don't don't think that you're not going to unless you're buying in a really undesirable area. So don't be afraid that businesses won't come. Um, that was just something naive of me to think that there weren't as many businesses out there as there. I mean, we have we have banquet centers and furniture builders and coffee roasters and just all kinds of random businesses that are looking for space uh, that you wouldn't even think about. So um, just know they're out there and making the leap is not as difficult as you think. And then what's your long-term goals for your portfolio and your investing? So I initially thought, you know, I'd be buying single families and maybe I'd have a hundred or 200 and, and I'd go buy an apartment building. But I kind of revised that into phasing out my single families at some point in the future. Right now, they're all cash flowing really nicely. Uh, appreciation's been really good. Um, but if I can manage maybe five to 10 large commercial buildings rather than 100 single family homes, uh, you know, I can be golfing on a beach somewhere and, <laughs> instead of uh, sitting by my phone and my computer and answering maintenance calls or managing the guy who is me answering maintenance calls. So you'll, you'll find that a, a lot of experienced investors, more experienced than me, uh, a lot of them make a pivot out of single family or residential real estate into another asset class. And really, it just comes down to uh, the amount of time and management that's required for each asset class. There's there's multi multi millionaires who just buy single family homes and they, they do really well with themselves. But, you know, it's, it's just not for everyone. And I found out for me that, uh, you know, my niche is going to be in the commercial. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on and you have a, a really good Instagram if anybody wants to check that out. Uh, so you can see what Adam is up to and potentially, you know, invest um, in any deals you like that he's uh, he's bringing on because he has a lot of good ones coming up. Uh, what's the best contact info to reach you at? So you could do my Instagram page, which is Adam the Investor, or you can go to my website, which is cleinvest.com. And my contact information is on either of those. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thanks very much for coming on and uh, good luck with all your new deals. Thanks, Andrew.